Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you again. I don't golf a lot, uh, but when I do, I always want to know whether the people I'm going to be golfing with uh, are open to the use of mulligans. Now, a mulligan is a second chance. It's when you get a redo shot because the first shot that you made was horrible. You see, in golf, you step up to the ball, you go through your little pre-swing routine, you swing, and it goes straight. And in my case, it goes straight right into the water. Um, so in golf, you're always trying to keep your stroke count low. So a mulligan is when you make a horrible shot and you're allowed to have a do-over and it doesn't count against your score. Uh, the word mulligan is actually named after a Canadian, a guy by the name of David Mulligan, who was golfing in Montreal with a group of his friends. He got up to the tee, he took a shot and it went straight into the woods. He got so frustrated and upset, he ran to his golf bag, took out another ball, put it on the tee, looked at his companions that he was golfing with and said, this is my do-over. And he took another swing. And from then on, his friends called it a mulligan, named after him. Now, of course, mulligans don't exist in real professional golf. Uh, but they're a great help when you're golfing just with friends uh, and when you golf as poorly as I do. Now, wouldn't it be great if in life we could get mulligans, if we could get do-overs, if we could have the chance to have certain things not count, maybe things that we said or maybe things that we did? Well, we talked last week as we started this new series called Relationship Restart that life doesn't work that way, but the gift of each day is that we get a brand new start. We get a fresh opportunity to begin again. And when it comes to relationships, that is so important because we are all trying to grow and learn and become better as we relate to the people that we're in relationships with. And today I want to talk about a principle found in the book, found in the New Testament in the book of James that challenges us to think about the way in which we use our words, the way in which we use our speech. Because if you're like me, probably the regrets that I have the most are in how I spoke to other people in words that I used, ways that I responded um, that were so hurtful to people and that did kind of damage even beyond what I could have ever imagined. There's a proverb in, chapter, in Proverbs 12, verse 8 that is so true. It says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, thrusts, sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And I don't need to tell you this. You have been on the receiving end of words that were hurtful and did damage to you and did damage to a relationship. But you've also been on the receiving end of words that were a gift, that were encouraging, and that were life-giving, that had almost a healing property to them. Well, today, again, I want us to look at a verse found in the book of James that will help us think about how it is that we use our words in the relationships uh, that are closest to us in life. Because I believe if we can grow in this area, it will not only save us from regrettable moments, but it'll help us to use our speech to heal, to encourage, and to build up. And at the end, I want to talk about really what I think is an incredible opportunity in this unique time that we're living in to use our words to be a blessing to others. So let's jump into the book of James chapter one. I encourage you to get out your Bible and your pen and notepad if you're taking notes uh, and, and, and get ready to, to look at this verse together. James chapter one, verses 19 and 20. 
Now, before we do, just a reminder, James is the brother of Jesus. Just let that sink in for a second. James is the brother of Jesus. And James, early on in his life, uh, when Jesus was out and about preaching and teaching, did not believe in his own brother's message. In fact, there's a scene in the Gospels where Jesus, his mother, and his brothers show up to where Jesus is preaching, and they kind of pull him aside, and and they say, look, um, you know, if you could tone down the whole Son of God bit, that would be great. It's really freaking people out. That's my paraphrase. But later, James watches his brother be crucified, interacts with him after he's been resurrected, and he believes And he doesn't just believe, he actually becomes one of the dominant leaders in the movement of the early church. And you can see it even in this letter. He's taking upon this role of himself in instructing a group of believers on how they ought to conduct themselves. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Let me just share it with you here today. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, this is really important. Write this down. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Let's just take a few minutes and unpack these words for a second and and talk a little bit about what's going on here. If it feels like you're kind of being brought into a conversation that's already been ongoing as we get into the the book of James, you're right. Uh, Let me kind of give you the context of what James is, is dealing with in this church. Imagine for a second that the country of Greenland conquered Canada. And they came and they took all of our property. They took your property and they took my property away from us completely. Then they found some new people who were somewhat sympathetic to Greenland to look after and manage this property for them. And they divided it up and gave this small group of people large parcels of land. And they paid them really well to manage it. So the land that you and I owned, that had likely been in our family for generations, was now taken from us. And we got no money for it at all. And it was given to somebody else that lives in our community. And this person that now has our land has become instantly rich. And you and I have become instantly poor. Because it was land that we worked on. It's land that we farmed. It was our retirement plan. And now we have nothing. And here's where it gets complicated. The person that now owns our land goes to our church. And we see them every Sunday. And this was kind of the dynamic of what was going on in the congregation that James was writing to. You had these Christians who were sympathetic to Rome that had been given land, stolen from other church members, and they lived together in the same congregations. Now, let's remember, when James writes these verses, he's not giving a workshop on how to say fewer stupid things or just how to use our speech. This, for James and for us, is a matter of discipleship. And paying attention to what comes out of our mouths is the work of a disciple. We have the Holy Spirit living in us who is working to redeem and to repair and to shape our lives. Therefore, how we speak, how we deal with our anger, should be of such great importance to us because it's of great importance to the Lord. Now, in these two short verses, James kind of talks about four things. He talks about listening talks about speaking, he talks about anger, and he talks about righteousness. 
So let's jump in and look at a few things that he has to say. He starts off with a little bit of a word picture, saying that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. The word here that he used to describe uh, for being quick is also the word that's used in John's gospel. It's used to capture uh, the story of James, or Peter and John, sorry, running to view the empty tomb on the day of the resurrection. So these two disciples get the news that Jesus has been been resurrected and they rush towards the tomb to see it themselves. And John gets there first. He's the quickest. This is the same words that James uses in this passage. Be quick to listen. But the word that he uses to describe being slow to speak means literally to be late, to show up late. It's as if he's kind of giving us an image of your listening skills and your speaking skills are in a race. Let your listening skills be the fastest and let your speaking skills be last. Let them show up late to the conversation. He wants us to picture this in our minds as we think about the conversations that we have with so many different people in the run of a day and how it impacts the way that we engage them. When you show up to a conversation, let your ears get there first. Let your mouth be late. Husbands, this advice could have saved us many nights sleeping on the couch. But James is not speaking to us just about what it means to be polite, that we should wait our turn. It's way more than that. Maybe you can picture being in a conversation with someone and you are talking and you're watching them and they are not saying anything but they are like revving their engines and they are just waiting for you to be done so they can burn right over you with whatever it is that they want to say. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. When James calls us to be quick to listen, he's not inviting us into just good manners. What he's saying here is that we must listen to people's words, but we also must understand what they are saying. James wants these believers who had deep disagreements to hear and understand each other. Because when we listen, we learn. Do I understand where you're coming from? Am I able to understand why it is that you feel this way? Am I hearing about your perspective and gaining appreciation for where you're coming from? Do I need to ask you some more questions so I can better hear you and really understand what it is that you're trying to say to me? And as Christians, this means entering into a conversation with the expectation that we have something to learn from the other person. Think about how much pain this could solve you when instead of jumping the gun and just speaking before we speak or or speaking before we think. I would say this, the leaders that I love listening to, watching, are those who are the most curious. They love to be stretched. They love to be challenged. They know they can learn something from everyone, even people they disagree with. And let's be honest. The stereotype that lives in our culture of Christians today is people that refuse to listen, that never understand, and just want to be right. But James calls us to be good listeners who humbly assume that we may not know everything or understand everything, so we must listen before we speak. Maybe you've had this similar experience. You've got a friend They've been a bit distant to you recently. 
and you've assumed that something is wrong, that you've done something wrong. And this is the story that you're telling yourself. This is the assumption that you're operating from. And so the next time you get together, thankfully your ears arrive on time and thankfully your mouth arrives late and you listen. And as you listen, your friend tells you about a difficult time that they've been going through, some health challenges that they've been facing, some financial situations that have been causing great stress in their life that has caused them to pull back from everybody. And suddenly you realize the story that you were telling yourself all along was wrong. But because you listened first and you learned the truth, it completely changes how you respond in that situation. Now, I know what some of you are saying. You've got your hand up. You're saying, hey, hey, Pastor Rob, wait, wait. Um, With all due respect, uh, sometimes the people that I'm talking to and I'm listening to what they say, what they're telling me is untrue. It's ignorant, maybe. It goes against what I believe. Do I have to kind of just sit there or can I correct them? And the answer, of course, is of course you can. You can speak. After you've listened, you can speak. But remember, listening does not mean that you're affirming their view, but it does mean you affirm their value. In fact, when you listen to what they have to say, you will better understand why they hold that view, what has brought them to that point. And as we listen, we will be able to respond with greater effect. I remember hearing this story years ago about a guy who had a real passion for evangelism And he kept wanting to kind of share his faith with people that he worked with in his office. And so he'd been praying and thinking about what's this going to look like and how do I go about it. And he knew that there was one guy in particular in his office who was a very outspoken atheist. This bothered the Christian and the Christian guy kind of developed a bit of an unhealthy attitude towards this atheist. So the Christian one day starts the conversation with his co-worker and he, he listened first to his story. And as he did, he realized that this man had had a horrendous childhood and had experienced a tremendous amount of pain early on in his life. That most of his life had been a series of difficulties and situations. And he came to hear from this guy that his belief that there is no God was his way of trying to make sense of a world that had been so Difficult. How could life be so difficult if there's really a God? And because the Christian man was quick to listen and then slow to speak, when he finally did speak, he knew exactly how to speak to this man's pain and hurt and disappointments in life. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Now in James' context, He talks about here that this is not just about kind of disagreements or different views on things, that there's a lot of anger related to these disagreements as well. How many of you would say, my best moment at work is when I just opened my mouth and spoke in anger to my coworkers? Anyone? Any parents out there said, you know, my best parenting moment is when I responded immediately out of anger. I just opened my mouth and I let it fly. Probably not. When we speak in anger, we're speaking blindly. We've not heard the other person, so we do not know where they're coming from. We don't know how to direct our words thoughtfully. When we speak in anger, we speak selfishly. 
We're not trying to correct. We're not trying to be understood. We're simply trying to release a certain amount of emotion and get something off of our chest. And in verse 20, James makes what might be the understatement of the year. Anger does not bring about the righteous life. Has anybody encouraged you to be a stronger Christian by being angry with you? Probably not. For, anger, for James, how we deal with our anger is a matter of discipleship. It's part of this working out our salvation in fear and trembling. You know, as Christians, we're funny. You know, we will not tolerate any kind of sexual sin, but we have allowed people to live angry, destructive, unrepentant lives for years as if their anger is in no way connected to their discipleship and the work that Jesus wants to do in their lives. When we're angry, remember the words of Jesus who said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning that if we want to be free from our anger, it's not just a matter of cleaning up our words or showing restraint. It's a matter of looking deeper and asking, Lord, why is it that I carry this anger in my heart? Are you finding that you're living with increased levels of anger these days? You're quicker to lose your temper. You're feeling more frustrated by more and more things. It's to be expected. Anger is one of the byproducts of grief, and we are all grieving so many losses right now. And anger looks different in different personalities. For some people, they slam doors, they holler, they raise their voice, they get it all out. Everybody knows when you're angry. (laughs) Other people, we go inward. We stew, we brood, we retreat, we spit, and the grass dies. (laughs) And as people who've been invited to walk each day with Jesus, we have someone with whom we can talk to someone whom we can open our hearts and our fears and our frustrations to and allow him to work and heal that anger so it does not destroy our lives. It does not destroy the relationships that we have with the people that matter most to us and so that we can experience the kind of peace and freedom that Jesus truly wants for people who live with great anger. Let me just make one more comment because as I was going through this verse this week and just thinking about it and reflecting on it, this is not just about keeping us out of trouble and making us better people to get along with. I think this verse has so much potential as you and I wrestle with what does it look like to be a blessing to other people right now? As Christians who are trying to find ways to love and care people and share the gospel with people, I believe these words in James can be helpful in our efforts to be people who would listen. And after we've heard and understand, we have words that we can speak and a life-giving word at that. As you listen to coworkers, as you listen to friends and neighbors, what are you hearing from them right now? Let me tell you what I'm hearing. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're frustrated. They're starting to realize that the season of pandemic that we're in is not going to be over anytime soon. Now, they may not say that exactly with their words, but if you listen, you will see that people are carrying this around with them everywhere. And what does someone that is carrying that around with them need to hear from us, the people of God right now? Is it, well, it's the government's fault, they're so stupid? No. The last thing we should be doing is adding to people's angst. We have the words of life. 
And we have the privilege right now to speak to them, to encourage them, and to speak words of blessing to them. Someone said to me the other day, we were talking about something, and they just paused. They were so pastoral to me. They said, I was sharing a frustration, and they just simply said, yeah, this is feeling a bit long, isn't it? And as soon as they said that, I felt like my heart wanted to open and all of this stuff wanted to come out and just share with them some of the challenges that I have been experiencing in my own life. When it comes our time to speak, let's speak words of life. I think about the power of just listening to someone share their burdens, their frustrations, all that they've got going on and then being able to say to them after we've heard them speak, just to share our own story like, you know, I have this thing I do each day where I get up and I just read through these passages of scripture. I read through a psalm and as I'm doing that, I'm reminded again that God loves me, he's here for me, and that he is going to see me through. I spend a few minutes talking with him and I feel as if he's giving me the energy and the strength I need for this day. What is it that we are gonna say when we encounter people who are carrying heavy burdens. Let them be life-giving words. No one needs more angst in their life. So church, we're living in this unique time. There's an incredible amount of topics that people are talking about, whether it's the U.S. election, COVID-19, justice issues, the church, finances, parenting, working from home, murder hornets, appropriate Zoom backgrounds. Did I miss anything? And as you find yourself in conversations with people, I plead with you as Christians to be quick to listen, to hear people, to hear their heart. Let them share what they're going through so we can better understand where they're coming from. Not that you have to agree with everything. And then do not add to their troubles, but instead give a life-giving word and point them to the hope to be found in Jesus. May our ears show up on time. May our mouths be late. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you want to hear from us. That one of the gifts of prayer is that we get to enter into your presence and just cast our cares upon you. That we can pour out our hearts to you without needing it to make sense and without trying to organize our thoughts, Lord. You're pleased to hear from us. And that, Lord, as we share with you, you have a word to speak to us. A life-giving word. Father, may our hearts be open to receive it. May our hearts be filled with your words. And Lord, make us ever sensitive as we go about our days, interacting with friends and colleagues or family members to make space to hear what other people are saying. And Lord, to take advantage of the opportunity that we have in those moments to speak a word of life into people's hearts, that they might know that you love and care for them. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.